Why Rog isn't quite happy with the new change to the residency rule. We talk formal wear with Mike McCarthy and Isaac Boss, and we're our panel punching the air when they saw Ireland's World Cup pool. It's all coming up on The Hard Yards. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport. Two and Ringrose comes through. Oh. That is brilliant from Ringrose. Ringrose is going here. What a score. I know what website you use most often, but it's a sister of uh, YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Hi Rob, Zeebs here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next year. He's calling. I don't think we've met before. But I'm the referee on this field, not you. I say YouTube is probably YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to episode 15 of The Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. Welcome to Ronan O'Gara, Isaac Boss, Mike McCarthy and Pat McCarry. And later on we get World Cup and Champions Cup odds from Ladbrokes' Haley O'Connor. We'll also have an interview with the Rugby Players Ireland's Players Player of the Year, Conor Murray, later in the show. And if you're listening to the podcast for the first time, subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get it straight to your phone. We have two pairs of tickets for the Guinness Pro 12 final to give away in the podcast this week. The question is, what award is Ronan Nagara receiving this week? We'll talk about it later in the podcast. To enter, tweet your answer to at sportsshow.ie and use the hashtag TheHardYards. It's on at the Aviva Stadium on May 27th and if you want to buy rather than win tickets visit www.ticketmaster.ie to make sure you don't miss out. Now, the Rugby Players Ireland Awards were last night. The two lads sitting across from me were at it. Mike, let's talk fashion first. Your choice of bow tie. Grey? Um, yeah, well for the Leinster Awards I went black shirt and grey bow tie and this time I went white shirt and grey bow tie again. Yeah, Bossy, Bar- more of a classic look? Yeah, I just went for the traditional dicky bow, you know. Yeah, uh, Mike's got his wife uh, with all the lovely shirts that she makes uh, dressing him, so he's all right, you know. I've got to dress myself, so uh, struggled away there. I was, can't can't change from the traditional. I was sat in between uh, Sean O'Brien and Jack McGrath, and they were just talking about the lines the whole evening and what <laughs> kit they got in their bag because they met on Monday to get their kit, so they were just discussing that. They're just sitting there, lions dicky bow, yeah, yeah. Two thousand and seventeen, what's the Special bash, Mike. Uh, Not better than 2001, anyway. Yeah, they're just saying how much there was, and they were pretty excited about it and taking selfies of themselves, and I I just felt like a spare part sitting there, to be honest. (laughs) um, So, look, what what is it like at the Players' Award night? Is it a good night out? Um, It's probably been on the other side of it for me this time it's probably yeah. a bit of a, a lame night to be honest when you're a player it's it's tough you've been you've been training all day and you know you, a lot of them have got training again today so uh, I actually enjoyed it a bit more this year I could uh, let my head down a little bit more and uh, have a few drinks and, and stuff like that so yeah I enjoyed it and what if you're a player who's who doesn't have a game because he's rehabbing yeah I had a, I just had a couple because as I said I was well I had one because I was driving so um but yeah, the, the the lads who just one small glass of red wine. Um, but uh, you yeah, know, the lads, the the Leinster boys are training today, so uh, they 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 obviously didn't drink. So you, you you'd enjoy it a bit more when you can have a few. Raj, did you enjoy those nights? If you won something, I think. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> a long drive up from Cork for kind of clapping other fellas. <laughs> well, but, I don't know. Last year, uh, Roger, you got the, the you got a big standing ovation, yeah, didn't you? I, I haven't seen a standing ovation like that in a long time. No, I, was, I, was, I wasn't up for any awards last night, unfortunately. In fairness to the players' union, they've um, 
they've really got their act together on, on a number of fronts and I think now the, they've an award ceremony that they're very proud of it's a re, as Bossy said it's a really enjoyable night and um, I think there's a lot of big rollers in the room as well that's important I think it's a quality event and um, you look at the candidates that were up for player of the year I think it's, it's just um, stored with quality but I did enjoy it yeah, I think it was uh, it's important too for the women to get a night out together because they also have a good bond between them they have a bit of crack as well Wednesday night obviously isn't ideal but um, you know I mean with the player schedules something has to give so mm. um in general, I think it's uh, a really good idea and a really good night. Rog, who are good men to be sitting beside for a night like that? Well, you see, in fairness, there was always um, a selection policy and the management in Munster were clever about who they sent up because if you sent up the reliable, they mightn't roll home till Friday. <laughs> um, but if, as the years went on, it became, as Bossy said, a very much uh, centred around players' training routines and um, I think Salad Nose said, well, you know what I mean? I think when they come in and what table they're going to be sitting at, they're kind of going, oh, yes, big night here, or else it's kind of, I might save this credit for another time, you know? <laughs> so who were who those reliables? And they said for a long time, so you're kind of, I could have a big menu, fellas, but it's. It all depends, really, on, on like, if you had a European Cup final uh, that weekend, it's a non-event. If you have a weekend off, then it takes a whole new uh, lease of life. But sure, in Irish rugby, you don't really have to be looking too far, you know what I mean? If you play with the national team, it's it's kind of, you just kind of look at the fellow opposite you and if he has a sparkling water in, in, in his hand, you just know... Uh, he's going to be no crack, so you just kind of look around and see who's, who's at the next table for you, you know? Yeah, I think uh, Roger, you're quite right there as well. It could have been a disastrous week for us if uh, both Munster and Leinster have won uh, a couple of weeks ago. They, they wouldn't have been there at all, so we might have had no players there last night. So, you know, there is a little bit of a silver lining, I think. Yeah, but, no players uh, or a lot of sparkling water. Yeah, a lot of sparkling water. But it's yeah. almost like uh, you get there sometimes and, and you look across the room and he's on a sparkling water and you see him grab a pint and then he looks at you and there's just a little twinkle in the eye and you know it might be the most uh, unlikely candidate sometimes but you just kick it off so yeah uh, so speaking of you know good venues and good events um, tell us about this man cave man cave yeah there's stories legend of the man cave under Bossy's house Uh, that must be my one Uh, you must be talking about my times in uh, Belfast there so uh, yeah well uh, it's probably everyone likes a good man cave I I had a big uh, big house actually four double bedrooms and I was living there by myself but I used to like to go and have a little beer in the the shed underneath the deck that you you actually couldn't stand up in you know but (laughs) we bought a little poker table in there and had a few couches and a little bit of a sound system in it and uh, like a little hobbit hobbit yeah hobbit yeah (laughs) actually middle earth is not far away from where I grew up in New Zealand so maybe it's in the blood (laughs) uh, so yeah the the Dublin market is that you know good enough to have a man cave or is it a smaller affair now yeah you pay pay a pretty penny you know you live in a house and that's pretty much your man cave in Dublin isn't it you know so (laughs) you can't afford to have a deck with a a little room underneath you know maybe down in and maybe down in Cork, eh, Rog, you know, maybe I should move down there. Or... No, do you know what? I, I, I haven't been privy yet, but it must be an Indian thing, but Dan Carter has a man cave in Paris. Oh, really? Um, oh, yeah, so, so I, I I haven't made the nod yet. Hopefully, that'll be one of life's goals. If I make that, I can, I, I, I can sleep well, possibly, but at the minute, it's kind of resigned for 
for his Kiwi bros and the Islanders but um, <laughs> oh, you know I think uh, it wouldn't be a small pad either that he's renting in Paris <laughs> so I he just basically transfer I think he's a gym on one side and maybe a man cave on the other side Roach, the Roach other do you have a man cave in France? <laughs> do I have a man cave? yeah no I uh I'm lucky to have a garden. I'm happy yeah. with that. I can barely fit a, a swings and slide in there. And if, you, if the okay. kids go on the wrong angle, they kind of graze their knee against the wall. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not... Um, I don't have the, the unconfined spaces like one lucky fellow will have down in our bottom, you know? Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we'll come back to that one, yeah. Um, the uh, I suppose we'll move on to the World Rugby World Cup draw. Um this is the big news of this week. The draw for the pool stage, two years out for the 2019 Rugby World Cup. Ireland have drawn Scotland, Japan and two qualifiers, which, depending on how things go, we're probably looking at Romania or Spain uh, and then could be Tonga in the other slot. Um, so it's all right. Uh, lads, were any of you punching the air for want of a better term when you saw those teams come out of the hat? Well, to be honest... Um so we couldn't ask for a better draw compared to what it could have been, you know. So obviously a lot of work to be done and all that. You, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourselves. But uh, in terms of uh, the way the draws go, I think we've got the, the good side of the draw and, and we've got to be happy with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, what's uh, Joe called it? The good, the bad and the ugly. So uh, I'm not too sure what that means. But, uh, you know, Japan obviously showed the last World Cup beating South Africa and that's a bit of a banana skin. And, um, you know, Scotland beating Ireland in the last Six Nations. So... Um, you could look at it as it's a it's a, a good draw, but then you know if you don't take the, the team seriously that are that are in it, you could you could slip up. The the, uh, the Scots used to have Raj for inspiration and in some of his, his pre-match comments and stuff, but I think he slipped might be the, the new man with the comments. Uh, did you did you hear them, Raj? Did you hear much about that? Yeah, yeah, I did, I did. Yeah, I just um, I suppose I was kind of kind of going very much under the radar because it's a hugely significant day obviously two years out from the World Cup but what pool you get in is hugely important and as Bassi said I just think the the fact that we got that, that draw is hugely you have to say hugely encouraging which leads to hopefully a change of mindset and the fact maybe we can for the first time and it's a little bit dangerous that hopefully the way our game's gone in the last 10 years anyway I think you could be looking at hopefully starting the competition at quarter-final stages you know and that might give the team all new oxygen and momentum to hopefully have a charge at the playoff games because you look at the last two campaigns Ireland have been having had an 80% record in the World Cup yet have gone home at quarter-final stages I think we've been unbeaten in, in the pool stages and we've won four out of five games in both campaigns so that's correct I think and but like it's it's still nowhere near good enough mm-hmm. but like to be saying you're winning four games and you lose one and you go home it's kind of it's it's a huge fall off so this time there might be a different emphasis maybe uh, psychologically putting how we prepare for it and it'll be uh, hugely interesting but you know if you were to consider you could be in with England, France and Argentina that that has, has big consequences even starting this morning I think about what's ahead of you yeah, I mean, that, that's something we should actually say. So if we're saying that Ireland have a, 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 a decent draw, um, the other pools are uh, New Zealand, South Africa, Italy, and then uh, Africa won and the Repechage winner. 
England, France, Argentina, along with um, either the USA or Canada and one of Fiji, or likely to be Fiji or Samoa. And then the last pool is Australia, Wales, Georgia, who are again on an upward curve, uh, Fiji or Samoa, and then looks like USA or Canada. So, yeah. Ireland's draw is good but this is too Orlando and Georgia have been on an upward car for a long time they've been building since 2006 yeah they were robbed in 2007 no absolutely fair we won't I I wasn't even going to bring up 2007 you've given me an in Um, you have to (laughs) but but seriously though like if you're if you're a player are you sitting there watching that draw or are you just going about your day Mike Um, if you're a player yeah you'd, you'd You're probably not sitting and tuning into it, but you you know you're obviously looking to see who's in your group, and you know I think the 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 lads who would expect to go to the World Cup will be very happy with that draw. And um, but as Roger's saying, you know we haven't reached the semi since '87, so uh, lost to Wales in 2011 in the quarters, and then Argentina in the last World Cup. So you know hopefully uh, you know we, we can top that group and then kick on and go go further than we have done before. Yeah, I mean, the, the I don't want to go too much on the, the... We're almost into the reaction to the Heathslip reaction, which was reported by somebody else's story. But there is there is a point there, which is, can you be seen as a player in the tournament to get too happy about a draw? I mean, Raj, is that something you want to kind of, you know, manage? Uh, like, if you're if you're the manager looking at that, are you sort of going, ah, come on? Looking at what? Sorry, Andy. Sorry, just looking at, you know, sort of Heathslip punching the, the air or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think to be fair though like when that's written down you can interpret it in a hundred different ways like you'd love to actually have your own eyes to be able to judge to see what he did and I think then you could comment accurately on it you know what I mean but yeah, by I us reading that's very fair, Jamie yeah. Punch in the air was he like was he kind of was he in running mode kind of as if he scored a goal or you know what I mean there's a thousand different interpretations of him Punch in the air I you know what I mean I would prefer not to even um, give my opinion on that because I haven't seen him and it's one guy uh, a journalist reporting on it but um, you know it's for me it's a nothing story he's fully entitled to do what he wants to do and I just don't I don't see why he's it's reported maybe the fact yeah he thinks that he's got a great draw but I, I, if I was Jamie he's I'd probably be doing yeah it is a great draw a great opportunity yeah. Um it is for know, it is for Irish rugby, but the um, what I'd say is that if you look at the other side of the, the coin on that pool, the Scots the Scots must be pleased enough as well. I mean, mm. Ireland might look at this and say this is a decent draw, but Scotland beat Ireland this year. Yeah, you're right, but um, at the same yeah, time, the, the reality is they'll be coming out as a group as well, don't they? Yeah, exactly. You know, so yeah. you can you can afford to, to to be honest, you can afford to drop a game, and depending on what happens in the other pool with the New Zealand South Africa game, it might not be a bad option to. To drop one early and then uh, you know to avoid the ABs if they manage to slip up yeah. against uh, South Africa. Yeah, I think there was. I think I heard on the radio they were saying that if the, the team that tops that group is going to get the harder quarter final. The team that if we if, so the way this will work, it's so I confirmed with Royal Rugby yesterday because it wasn't clear from some of the, the stuff that came out that it would be the exact same structure as the last World Cup. So quarter final would be top in our pool mm-hmm. against the runner up of the New Zealand and South Africa pool, and then the winner of that game would then face uh, the winner of the Australia Wales pool or the runner-up of the England-France pool. So that's how this would shift moving on. So, yeah, the focus in the group stage would be to make sure you avoid New Zealand in that quarter-final, Bossy. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, just looking where South Africa is at the minute, like, obviously, 
you know, some of these Super Rugby teams are doing very well, but I don't know if they've got that strength in the next couple of years to re- really be able to rebound to the strength that they, they have been at. So I think, you know, if you can get through our pool and be top, be one of the better quarterfinals opportunities we've had in a very, very long time. Well, speaking of, of Super Rugby, I mean, that's where you've got the Japanese upward curve has been, you know, predicted for a while. There's been a lot of effort they've given in the World Cup. There's a Super Rugby franchise now. That'll be a few years in of a, a core of a team playing together week in, week out. Yeah, well, you know, the Japanese Super Rugby side is a little bit different. You know, the way they operate their, their rugby over there by nature is I've got a lot of mates playing there and it's a very loyal type of... Um, uh, industry, so guys don't swap between clubs. So there's a lot of top Japanese players that haven't chosen to play Super Rugby because, yeah. you know, they're in a job for life. At the, the companies they work for, they're, they're basically company teams, and if they leave, then they might never get back in there. You know, so they stay in there and they'll have a job for life, and they're, and they're loyal to say the the Toyotas, the you know the Mitsubishi's and and all those sort of brand names. You know, yeah. But uh, what I do think is very exciting about it being in, in Japan, Japan and, and our pool is the fact that we are going to be the the focal match when we play Japan it could quite potentially be the the opening match of the World Cup, and um, you know all eyes are you know are going to be on us in, in Japan, and every single match in in that pool is going to be of interest to everybody around. So it's going to create an atmosphere that uh, we probably haven't had in other other pool matches that we've had throughout other World Cups. So you know it's it's, it's really exciting, you know. Yeah, they are, they are building though. I mean, if you, if you think of obviously there's the South Africa the earth shattering result, but they've also notched a win over Wales in the last couple of years as well. I mean, a touring Wales, but still Wales. Uh, building towards that one game. I mean, I think you're right. If I was scheduling the World Cup, I would be putting on Japan Ireland as the opening game. Mm. Yeah, maybe that's not a good thing for us to strike the first match. You know, if you look at it that way, if they're going to kind of put an upset, you know, it's quite likely uh, there might not be as many green. There might be more a few more Japanese faces in the ground than the green shamrocks. But um, yeah, that's that's quite potentially. I think that'll be a bit of a mouthwatering uh, opportunity that World Rugby will be looking to, to to open the World Cup with. Yeah, it is. It does become more useful now that Japan are in the hosts are in Ireland's pool. That Ireland are going on this tour to Japan after the USA. Like um, I've been over there myself. It is it's a different experience. It really is. Uh, if you've never travelled there, believe me. One thing I recommend it to give yourself a couple of days after you land to adjust because it's different. So Ireland will have hopefully a clutch of young players going on this tour who will have been there and have got that out of the way for the next time. Yeah, exactly. And it's an experience. It's a different rugby nation. It's not traditional, but they they get behind it. And like you said, it's, it's just different. It's, it's hard to explain until you get there. You know, it's a it's a massive city. There's not that l- lot of green parks or stuff like that. You you're wandering around concrete, and then you, you're going into these parks. But look, it's a great environment to play rugby. The guys will enjoy it. And like you said, this summer tour is going to be an actual uh, uh, a bit of a, a bit of a learning curve for them, and takes on a lot more more. Um, Impetus, I think, with the with the draw being made, and I know uh, Rog. I don't know you might be out there for that part of the uh, the tour, are you? I know you're going out for a week or two. No, uh, actually, unfortunately, gone. I'm only doing the USA tour, so I'll be back for I'll be back for that. I never played there either, Bossy. So um, yeah, it would be great to to see it, but not this time. I was I was in Japan in uh, back in 2006. On a I was at Newcastle Falcons. We went on a tour to Japan for two weeks. Um, they were trying to host the the World Cup back then, and the, the only reason we went was because Johnny Wilkinson was playing at the Falcons. 
and they wanted him to be out. They wanted him to be out there for. So it was brilliant because you know the Japanese government paid basically for Newcastle to fly out there. We all flew out business class, apart from the academy boys. They were in their economy, so we kept popping back to see them and all like squashed up and bunched up together. But uh, yeah, I think the big thing over playing over there in Japan that I remember playing the two games is the humidity. It's uh, it, it absolutely uh, zapped you of energy. So. Um, you know, it's great the, the island lads are going on tour there in the summer, so they'll get an idea of, 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 of what it is like to play there. The, the humidity aspects, there's, like, obviously, look, food's different when you travel, but if you're in a tour environment, you can control that. But if you want to try and switch off in Japan, it's a very, very different environment. Like, let's say you're in Tokyo. I mean, Tokyo is not, like, a big city normal style. It's, like, six floors deep. <laughs> like, trying to find your way around, it's, it's hard. Yeah, exactly. Um, actually, in my couple of months off, uh, when I finished playing rugby last October, I was in Japan visiting mates and watching their... Oh, watching I bet their, you were, were you? <laughs> <laughs> you sleep, sleeping in pod hotels and, and stuff like that, you know, so it's uh, storing your luggage in a in a, um, in a canister on the street yeah. and stuff like that, you know, and, and that's just life over there. It's just it's really different, you know, but uh, one thing the boys will enjoy is the food anyway. It's uh, the best food I've ever had, so it's if, brilliant. If you are into food... Japan is an incredible place. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, everything from steak to fish, to, I mean, it's just, it's top drawer, you know? See if the lads are let loose. Suit, <laughs> get the sushi orders in. Um, Mike, going back to the, the, your, your experience there, I mean, there were, were there a lot of fans there? I mean, I know this has gone back a few years, but... Well, the, there wasn't a lot of Newcastle fans there, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, well, it was... Uh, the, 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 there was, it was there wasn't a big crowd. We played a team called Toyota, and uh, it was an amazing stadium, massive, huge stadium. But um, the, the crowds weren't weren't huge. But you know they've obviously been gathering a, a lot of momentum since then. And uh, you know rugby's extremely popular out there now. Since and with them beating South Africa and coming close to beating Wales, um, it's it's it, the support over there for the World Cup's going to be mad. What were you eating in 2006? Um, oh well. You know, I'm a big fan of spaghetti, but there's not much spaghetti out there. But I was having sushi, and man, yeah, it's brilliant. There's they have the uh, the wheels going round in the restaurant, yeah. and you know, like t- some of the you know the props were kind of taking bites out of things and then putting them back on the back on the uh, what do you call it, the little roller coaster thing. Um, oh, so it's quite disgusting. But um, oh no, the food's amazing, and it's uh, it's a fantastic experience. Uh, you know, when you when you when you're touring, you do things on your day off, like exciting things. You know, like when the lads were in South Africa, they went shark diving. Uh, we went to see some of the sumo wrestlers training, so uh, that was pretty cool. And at the end, a couple of the lads had to put the nappies on and have a have a sumo wrestle. So uh, yeah, no, it'd be a great experience for the for the guys going over. Yeah, I mean, if you're interested in looking ahead to some of the um, the perhaps the second row options because that's that one position where I think Ireland might be going through a bit of a lean patch spot. Yeah, um, I was actually just trying to get a visual picture of John Ryan or something like that, or in in a, in a sumo nappy or something out of my head there but um, yeah looking at the Rossi like, would be worse <laughs> thinking of Rossi in my mind oh, yeah, yeah. They, um, I think Schmidt is uh, he's naming a squad early next week and just looking at some of the, the second row options I, like I'd be interested to see if Dunica Ryan is kept on because it looks like he's off this summer Schmidt has already kind of spoken about that that like it'll be hard to kind of pick him again um, if, if he is off to France so you kind of look at the second row and you, Devin Toner's the obvious one maybe Billy Holland if you want to bring a, a bit of experience but then who, who's the kind of next lads coming in I know Treadwell's kind of he's coming up at the right time but have, have you seen anybody else even some of the Leinster lads Mike that might be pretty good yeah well um, 
James Ryan's been injured mm, um, yeah. and he's been rehabbing and oh, he's put on some serious bulk, some serious size and he's obviously an amazing prospect um, so he's back fit and um, training and playing now so I think next season he's really going to emerge as a as a, a great player so I'm not sure if it's too early for him to go on tour because he's literally just come back from his hamstring injury but uh, you know he's definitely got a massive future Ross Maloney's been going fantastic mm, yeah. this season um, he's taken on a lot of responsibility calling the lineouts when uh, you know when Dev hasn't been playing and um, yeah he's he, he again's got a bright future he's he's really bulked up he was a uh, uh, Quite light last season, but he's 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 had a few um, periods where he hasn't played, and they've just stuck him in the gym to bulk up. And um, yeah, then like the guys you mentioned, um, Billy Holland's had a great season, mm. and you know, like wh- why wouldn't they take Donica Ryan? He's he's going to be still young enough for for the next World Cup, and what a fantastic seasons he he's had. Yeah, you think he's someone who's like maybe good enough to kind of? I know Sexton was almost the the exception to the rule, but someone like Donica Ryan is maybe worth. Even if he does head off to France, keeping around like for his experience and the form he's in at the moment as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at the get, that game against New Zealand. He was up, he was fantastic, and um, you know he'd be a good mentor to the younger second rows coming through, like uh, Paulie was when he was there. So um, yeah, it's definitely worth having having him in the environment going forward to the to the next World Cup. Would you say the same, Roger? Do you think it's definitely worth keeping Dunica even if he does head off to France? Um. Playing, playing on the team or going on the tour? I suppose if does he does he go on the tour if 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 Schmidt knows that he's not going to play him again? I I don't think I I, I wouldn't think um, Joe Schmidt would be looking at it like that. I think he's going to have to because as Mike said, the, the guy is quality and he's proven over a long period of time. I think he's always going to be a potential uh, option. I think what may happen over the summer is that he may look at different options to see. Um, what cover he has there or what potential he has there they're going to be hard tests but I think um, for someone like Dunnick Ryan I think you know exactly what he what he brings and what he can do and maybe um, it may be more beneficial for him to to uh, miss out on this if he is part of the plans for the 2019 World Cup I'm not too sure what the plans what the plans are in regard to that but um I think it's um, it may be an opportunity to look at younger guys as well because it's um, three three really important tests and if you keep looking at the guys that you that you know what they can do then as Mike says you need to grow the other younger guys as well and this would be a good environment for them to grow. So speaking of people moving countries, we now wait for this segue. The residency rule we've got that changed. So it was teed up for a long time out. Uh, it's now moved from thirty six months to sixty months. So three years to five years continuously living in the new country uh, Raj what's your take of this um, I'm I'm thinking you're going to be a fan of this move um, yeah it was, I think it's, it was very necessary and um, I can completely um, see why they did but for me I probably would have gone to seven years if I, if I was a decision maker I wasn't a decision maker but um, I just think it's really important that the international game integrity is is uh, strengthened and upheld um, so for me I think it was probably the minimum um, and and that's basically it and they're not bringing it in this is the, this is the weird thing about the announcement the 2020 not, yeah. yeah so the last day in 2020 so that effectively means that you're teeing up potentially a smash and grab by the end of this year 
Um, I mean, it, I know I'm being facetious, but like uh, Isaac, I mean, what what are we going to see here? Um, no, you're right, but there's got to be a natural progression in times like this. I think I think they've done it right at the moment. Um, three years is one contract, uh, yeah. Basically, you know, so and that, I don't think that's the way to do it. Five years and a couple of years time, you might get generally m- more five year contracts, so they might change it again. And we're looking at probably from a very um, <clears throat> probably our point of view in Ireland. You know, we haven't abused it. We've played the the letter of the law and you know we've taken opportunities with a few players and quite rightly so other countries may have abused it a lot more I know the island nations myself growing up in New Zealand would have seen the the island nation and this is where they will really win I think because their players are the ones that are more than often getting poached by all the other um, countries and stuff like that so it'll make them a bit stronger make the world rugby a bit stronger in general um, and like um, Rog said, maybe uh, it'll be something that uh, in a few years' time we're talking. It needs to be a bit further again, you know. So I mean, you're, you're working with the you're working with the union now. That you, you know, retired from the game a little while. Uh, what what is it like when you see the, the quote unquote project players coming in? Because I know that that seems to be the thing that people have an objection to. People don't. If you come over and you happen to be here for a while, you just become part of the furniture. I think that's grand. But when people are sort of being targeted, that seems to roll people up the wrong way. Yeah, and maybe that's, uh, you know, not every country has project players. That's the way uh, Ireland is approached in terms of our own uh, internal. Every country's got um, different rules on how many foreigners they can have in a, in a team. And, and you know, Ireland get away with that because they have maybe four only international players in one project, which is, you know, whereas France, Roger will tell you, you know, at least 50% of them are foreign players. And uh, already in France, they've been targeting guys straight out of you know a school and they do it in New Zealand as well to be honest you know and that's what they've done for a long time so guys are coming in 1920 doing the academies so that's how they're getting away with the, the three years very early and I'll say they'll still be doing it now it's five years and that's why uh, I agree that maybe it could have been seven to an extent we don't take advantage of that but I know there's already guys that have been in there maybe five years in, in France and, and Roger might be able to lighten that a bit more there's guys that are coming that we've never heard of pop out of nowhere but they've been pulled straight out of the islands and stuff like that and, and brought through the system. Yeah, I mean, we've sort of, to be clear, we, we're sitting with the guys here, so both both Mike and, uh, and Isaac, you qualified, you wouldn't be affected by this because you both qualified through um, heritage, through grandparents. Uh, but, Roger, I mean, I think that point is, is fair. We are potentially looking at players getting grabbed younger and younger, potentially, here. Yeah, of course, and it's... it's um that's that's the key point. It has nothing to do with heritage or people who qualify for playing for for their for their country because that's hugely important that people of Irish descendancy play. The issue is the guys that have absolutely nothing and playing for within the, playing for for their con. It's not their country playing for our country within within three years. I just think it completely dilutes the game. If you want to keep that Irish spirit that we have, which is a key part of what we stand for the rules have to be changed they've been changed but um, it's happening all over France as Bossier said which uh, you know I mean you've, imagine you've clubs like Brieve who have academies in Fiji you know I think you have to just maybe sit and reflect and think about that for a second so that's how far in advance it's gone in terms of recruiting players yeah, I mean, this is this is exactly what happened um, in some other sports in the US, where you got baseball teams setting up academies in places like the Dominican. It's the exact same scenario. It's a very, it's it, financially, it's a poorer environment, and they're getting an association in very early. They're knowing the players, the families, the agents to hopefully create a pathway. We might talk about that again sometime. Um, Raj, we have to leave you go, but before you go, um, you're going to be a freeman of the city of Cork. Is that correct? 
Yeah, today, um, big day, yeah, so it's an incredible honour, yeah, so I'm, um, I don't know, it's kind of been a bit, a bit uh, strange because you're out of the place and you come back and there's pretty big excitement even, um, I drove by the City Hall this morning, so it's um, flags for the country, or for the teams I play with, a Munster flag, an Irish flag, and a British and Irish Lions flag, so it kind of just brings it home and I think as Bassey said with these awards it's kind of only when you stop playing and you emerge from the bubble you kind of go that was a great period of my life and uh, today will hopefully be a day like that so it's incredibly uh, humbling Do you get any special stuff like you know I mean do you get to graze your sheep somewhere like they do in Dublin? Yeah it was, I suppose that's the funny side of it like I suppose it's Fanny O'Sullivan and Roy Keane were our two previous recipients so I think those names you just don't have to even comment after it you know so it's it's, it's, it's big boy stuff so it's it's a, um, it's a huge honour and um, I'm very obviously um, grateful for it and I realise I play a, a team sport so without the teammates you wouldn't be getting it Gents you look a little surprised there by our colleague's honour on the line No no not surprised at all and uh, thoroughly deserved you know uh Obviously, uh, you can tell just uh, Roger's usually cheeky and, and got a bit of uh, you know a bit of wood about him. He's <laughs> has a little bit of uh, sort of taken back by it, and, and just yeah. uh, you know obviously he's very humbled by it, as I could tell just by the way he's speaking. But it's well deserved, you know. And uh, probably later on today he's probably getting on the plane back to France. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Has he ever take the key with him? <laughs> has he ever given you a, a tour of Cork? Uh, no, well, yeah, we used to train down there a lot in the early days. There used to be a lot of uh, camp space down in there. I remember travelling down from Belfast, driving all the way down there. And Rog, I'd, I'd, I'd be the first person to say, made me feel the most welcome into the uh, into the environment when I first got into the Irish squad. So there's nothing more daunting getting down there and meeting someone like uh, Aaron and him taking under your, your belt and, and looking after you. So, uh, you know. Mike? Uh, well, Roger hasn't given me a tour of um, Cork, but he gave me a tour of Carton House. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, this uh, Roger is a, a legend of a man, so it's a it's a, it's a great honour for him to receive the award. And um, I'm just very proud to be doing a podcast with him. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll run. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, listen. Look, sincerely, thanks, th- thanks yeah, for your time and congratulations, Mr. Andrew O'Gara. Up next, we'll look ahead to the Champions Cup final, the event that may or may not be happening this weekend, depending on what newspapers you're reading. Uh, and we chat to Conor Murray. <laughs> now, when the cups are decided, you're fine weather. But that's probably a two-month period. You have to do the hard yards. Hey, that's the name of the show. Excuse the pun. No, that's perfect. We're <laughs> going to use that now. <laughs> I'm on a bonus for that, definitely. Yeah. Get Do that in. The hard yards. The hard yards. On Sports Joe, backed by Ladbrokes. Gents, you, you might hardly know it, but the Champions Cup final is this weekend. Sarsons and Claremont. It's Saturday, 5pm, Murrayfield, on both <coughs> of the TV channels, BT and Sky. Um... Has it been lost a bit with the World Cup draw and the Lions hype? There's nothing happening about it. Is, is the game on? Uh, well, it, it's, it probably has been a lost, uh, lost a little bit over the last few weeks with obviously Munster going out and Leinster ourselves going out, so not having a Irish representation in the semi-final. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 the game is still going ahead, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's irrelevant to us to be honest. You know, it, it's a it's a match to watch on the weekend. That would have been nice to see some Irish teams involved, but 
it's not like it happened. So uh, we, thought, we I've switched off because we're not involved, yeah. you know. So yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's be hard watching for us Leinster lads, you know. Obviously going pretty close in the in the quarter final. We uh, the lads put on a great performance, but the first twenty minutes we 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 weren't ourselves, and it, I suppose that cost us cost us in the end. And the semi, yeah, I suppose this is the, I think this is the thing where we do have an angle, which is we're looking at it from the perspective of both uh, two Irish provinces lost in the semi final. So the question is, what did the semi final games with Munster answer tell us about these two teams? Um, is it Saracens brick wall defence, <coughs> England's Claremont coming out hard, Bossy? Yeah, and I think uh, I think it's more a bit deeper than that. I think you know, being played in Scotland, I think it'll be. I think uh, the Saracens will get up. I think it's a bit harder for Clermont to come over there and win. <laughs> if it was in France, I'd be saying Clermont. But um, even look at the day at the Zenit. I think Gloucester are playing the night before. I think it'll be a bit of an English festival of rugby, and, mm-hmm. and they'll all be travelling up the road. They won't all necessarily be Saracen supporters because they don't have a big support base. To be honest, we, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot that come over here to Ireland. No, but there'll be a lot of uh, just general English rugby fans that will make the way the the way up to Edinburgh for the weekend and, and go and support the both matches so you know it's unfortunate they don't really want an English team to be win it but that, that's the, the way I can see it going Yeah I mean we, we might go back to the, the Leinster match there I mean it, it, can Claremont come out like that again against a team like Saracens Been their, their defence is what they've built everything around for the mm-hmm. last few years yeah, well, it's, it's pretty exciting because you know Saracens game is blitz defence that's that's their strength and then Claremont are unbelievably good at attacking um, saw that against against Leinster um, they really throw the ball around but like Bossy said they, I think Claremont, um, French sides notoriously struggle when they travel but um, you know Claremont have been talking up that they can break down Saracens Saracens defence but um you know, it's the, the defense is is unbelievably good, and it's very hard to play when you're under that kind of pressure of the speed they come off the line at you. It's uh, you don't have much time on the ball, um, but you know, I'd say Saracens are definitely favourites. They they haven't lost in the Champions Cup since they lost to Claremont in in 2015 in that semi where they lost uh, 13-9. Um, so Saracens, I'd say, have definitely got all the momentum going into the into the final. What was that review meeting like after the semi-final loss? I mean, w- there was obviously a lot of good to take out of that game. Oh, yeah, there, there was lo- loads of positives, lots of positives. I mean, uh, I think for 60 minutes, Leinster um, outplayed Claremont. Yeah. Uh, just unfortunately, we left left ourselves too much work to do. By We, we, we had a poor start and, you know, didn't, didn't keep hold of the ball. And, um, you know, that's, that's what it was all about, was keeping the ball, building the number of phases. And, you know, you saw that for the after the 20 minutes, um, Claremont actually sh- actually struggled to, to, to defend Leinster for, for those long periods. So, yeah, it was a lot of positives to take out of it. But, you know, there's a lot of hurt. So, um, yeah, that was, I mean, there was 60 minutes of, of good stuff. But the yeah. review of the first 20 must have been stinging. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. We just got a bit narrow in defence. Um, so they were the two things really: na- bit too narrow in defence. Um, a couple of those cutout passes uh, to was it Strattle on the wing, yeah. um, and then yeah, just didn't keep hold of the ball for long enough periods to kind of wear them down and break them down. Are there key people in the camp who'd lead out something like that, or is this a coach-driven? Um, oh, it's mainly coach-driven, and then you know, like some of the senior players might. Uh, talk after the game in the change room, say say a few words, and then um, yeah, it's just down to, down to the review. But I mean, there was, there, there was a lot of positives to take out, and when you look how young our squad is, they'll learn from that. Um, you know, I didn't play in that game, but the, two years ago we lost in the semi to Toulon, went to extra time, and Habana got a an interception past. So it's it's heartbreaking. Um, but um, you know, hopefully those the lads will 
keep hold of that hurt and drive us on for the for the rest of the season. So back to Saracens. I mean, we got there is an Irish presence in this. Mark McCall is the Saracens coach, perhaps one of the more underrated Irish coaches there's been. Um, Isaac, you played under him at Ulster. Yeah, my first year over here in Ireland, uh, he was a head coach here in, in Ulster. And, and to be honest, he's brilliant. You know, uh, I thought he was very good with his back attack stuff that we did. Uh, we won the league that year as well, two thousand and five, two thousand and six. And uh, obviously, he moved on from Ulster in, in unfortunate circumstances. We didn't have the best of years uh, beyond that. And uh, it was, you know, early stages, one of those times where you, you look for a change of coach, and it was very unfortunate. But I, I do the work that he did then. It still um, reminds me of some of my best times in Irish rugby, and, and he's brilliant. You know, so you can see he's been there ever since he's left, and there's a reason why why they're doing well, and he's been able to um, install a, a great work ethic in them. Yeah, I mean, I wonder is there a reason why he's not sort of up there with the the names that we hear and the Irish coach like you hear about the Eddie O'Sullivan's, whatever else, and Declan Kidney. Even Pat Lamb like wins a Pro Twelve and he's talked up as the next Ireland coach. But McCall's over there winning leagues and Aviva Premierships and Champions Cups as well. Yeah, I mean, he, he seems to have built a culture at Saracens too. I mean, I, I've you know hands up, I've slagged Saracens, their support, the way they've been set up, the Wolfpack stuff. I've gone to town on Saracens, but genuinely there does seem to be a culture that they've built up over time at that club. No, there definitely is, you know, and you were talking about different Irish coaches around, and, and I know Conor O'Shea's got a massive rep, you know, but I don't think he's he's done quite what uh, Mike McCall has over mm-hmm. there, you know what I mean? And, uh, look, Saracens, it's not just coaching, they've got the resources, they've got the, the business analysis behind it, they've got a whole lot of different things, they've got the the player base as well and any coach would tell you that if you've got that sort of depth it's just about trying to do the final the final pit um, bring it all together and I think he's doing that well but uh, as a person I think he's more he, he doesn't like going out and doing all the media stuff you never see him doing anything more than he has to he's just there concentrating on the job and keeping his head down and probably a bit more um, humble about it and understated and I think that's really um, this coaching style that's probably come through a little bit that's that's really been beneficial for Saracens in general What kind of personality is he? Is he you know, authoritarian or is he kind of an arm around kind of guy? Uh, he, he can do a bit of both and what I like about him is that uh, he can pick it wisely you know he gets what he needs to when he needs to but he can also pull the player he's very personable yeah. so he can come, come along to you and say look you know, I need to be doing this or this is why you're doing it he gets a good rapport with players and he, and he has their respect but his, his technical analysis is very good as well he obviously played at a very high level playing for Ulster yeah. and all and stuff so he's got that knowledge and he can just impart it very well yeah, the, um, and then of course one of the big names on the Saracens team, Shidmaro Itoje. Uh, that Mike, I like your view on this. Here's a guy who plays locks. He plays lock, plays six, um, much like yourself. When you look at Maro Itoje, what do you see? Yeah, he's, um, geez, he's exciting, isn't he? He's um, he's a beast, beast of a beast of a man. He's only 22. Um, He's fit, explosive, big and strong, and skillful and aggressive. And um, yeah, he's. Uh, He's he's got a huge future. I mean, he's done so well already. He's uh, adding strings to his bow all the time. He um, he's just started calling the lineouts. There was a few injuries in the Saracens team, and uh, he the, for a couple of months he was calling the lineouts there. And he was obviously doing such a great job. He 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 called them uh, against England in that last game of the Six Nations. So, you know, to be doing that at 22 is a huge responsibility at mm-hmm. Test level. Um, you know, a lot of locks don't really come into their prime to their tw- 28, 29, 30. So to, for him to be where he is now at 22, going on a Lions tour, 
then you think, you know, three or four years' experience of learning those so-called dark arts and stuff like that, he's, um, he's, he's going to be untouchable in a few years. Michael, can a gentleman such as yourself to teach me? It's a good sort of fellow in his mid-30s, experience, being around the block. Exactly. Um, but it, so Rog has said to us previously uh, that he reckons that Otoji is on his way to being the best player in the world just that is this guy's skill set and his potential I mean is this something that is that overstating the case or is this what we're talking about here oh, no I definitely agree with that you know um, as I said he's, he's 22 and he's going on a Lions tour so you know c- come back from that Lions tour with that experience and um, more, the more and more he plays as, as I mentioned the line outs there that's, that's another string to his bow and uh, yeah, I, I can see he'll be untouchable in a, in a few years. Um, but uh, the same with you know the same with Ian Henderson as well. Like, I remember playing in a uh, Saxons uh, versus the Wolfhounds game, and I think it was um, Hendy was playing for us. I can't remember if he was in the second row or six, and Atoji was playing for for the Saxons. And you know, I remember thinking there's two 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 big stags going at it, um, two two phenomenal specimens. And you know, I've mentioned the, the size of the two of them and the strength. Um, they are they are real physical physical presence and you know the scary thing is uh, they're probably going get, to get even bigger and stronger. Well, here's hoping when Henderson's yeah. concerned anyway. Um, okay, predictions for the Champions Cup final. I'm going to go around the table here, uh, Bossy. I'll say Saracens by eight or nine points. Mike, I'd say Saracens by five points. I'll say Saracens. I'll go ten points. God, I'll go for Saracens. Yeah, I think, I think there'll be few scoring opportunities between, you know, so like it's, uh, Farrell's, Farrell's goal kicking will give, you know, give him the edge. Okay. I really, really, really hope Claremont <laughs> win. But anyway. I think we all do. We'll move on. Uh, Pat, you, uh, you interviewed Conor Murray, the um, Rugby Players Ireland Players Player of the Year. Yeah, he was um, he was up in Sandyford there at the uh, went went to see him at the Raw Gym. Uh, they were doing a, a maxi muscle. They were relaunching some of their protein bars that, that range in Ireland. So uh, caught up with Connor, and uh, the, the first thing I chat with him, I was sitting on a, a gym bike, and he was sitting on a gym bike. It was the most uncomfortable interview I've done in a while. And uh, awkward. <laughs> yeah, I started off by uh, by just chatting to him about the kind of work that he has to kind of put in, and just even the extras that he has to do to kind of become the player he has become and, and player of the year as well. Yeah, there's an awful lot you have to do that. that people don't see I suppose and I think my my first few years in, in the academy and, and with Gary Owen and, and Young Munster before that I think were, were really important in terms of my development and a massive thing for me was playing senior rugby with Young Munster and Gary Owen and, mm. and being thrown in at a young age and, and you know it's it's almost sink or swim at that age and, and at that level and, and you know thankfully I, I managed to stay afloat uh, just about and you know I, I took an awful lot from that experience and you know my three years in the academy were massive um, you know it's your first time coming into a professional environment and you know you're being looked at from all aspects you know physically and, and you know skills wise and, and what you're capable of and, and you know mentally how you can handle pressure and, and things like that so you're really assessed um, properly so I think that was that was really important and um, for a scrum half you know passing and kicking are, are your basics and you know that, they were always things I actually enjoyed doing anyway so and yeah you know, I went into the academy and started working with Greg Oliver, who is scrum half, yeah. uh, a great scrum half in, in his time, and um, learned an awful lot of him. Still work with him to this day. Um, you know, and it was just an awful lot of passing sessions, um, and he he kept it r- like really ex- exciting and challenging. You know, varied varied it up an awful lot, and you know that that became part of my weekly routine. Um, and and you know, 
you probably didn't realize the hours you were putting into your passing mm. your passing game and and the same as same with your kicking game with your extras after after training and yeah there's a, there's a whole host of things here like your nutrition trying to get you know physically strong enough to be able to handle yourself and mm. equip yourself quite well and you know finding out what what way suits you to play rugby you know yeah. in school people are probably obsessed with like size and just being as big as they possibly can and, and that's not necessarily a good thing you know for certain positions it is but you know I found maybe you know, was a couple of years into professional rugby I, found, I eventually found what weight I was happy with, happiest yeah. with playing playing at and the weight I felt I could be most effective and play my best rugby and um, that does take take a lot of time so that's another area that you know that you have to figure out as, as an individual and I, I think you know I know I know what weight I, I like to play at, at, at this stage of my career and um, let's say even someone like Ronan Ronan O'Gara then as well just uh, a guy um, maybe you won't even share the nickname you had coming up did he, <laughs> did he have any kind of advice for you when you were coming up was he good for kind of helping out some of the younger lads Montgomery Burns did have a bit of a lot of advice um, yeah no, seriously the, the biggest thing about playing with Raj I remember is that he always um, backed you he didn't he didn't really you know he understood the game plan really well and drove the team around the place really really well but he you know, if I, if I tried something and it didn't come off, he didn't really give out to me. Mm-hmm. He, he might have said it to me later on. He said, you know, maybe look at this option or, or whatever. But, you know, he kind of left me do my thing in and around the forwards and, and, mm-hmm. and that. And obviously, you know, getting the ball to him as quick as I <laughs> as I can as a, as a nervous youngster playing with Ron Nogara was massive, mm-hmm. a massive thing the majority of the time. But he did always back me to, to kind of play heads up rugby by myself, which is, which is massive because it's just, the, I think, the transition from playing club rugby into professional rugby is just mentally having the confidence to, to be the, to be the same player and not to go into your shell um when, when you're you're tossed into a, a, a big game when it's all out home and practice just being able to back yourself and i think raj paulie um dunners O'Callaghan, um you know david wallace all those guys who were playing when i started you know they, they just let you come in and, and be your own player which, which yeah. was fantastic obviously you had to fit into the game plan and, and 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 do things like that but i think backing yourself and 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 having the confidence to to go out and, and, and be yourself is, is massive, and I, Raj definitely um, definitely let me do that. And, and at times when he when he needed um, to steer me in the right direction or he wasn't happy with what I was doing, he made this uh, kind of face, this angry face. He didn't have to say anything, but I, it was just an, an angry face. And he knows he does it sometimes when I see him, uh, and it, it just meant that I had I had picked the wrong option, and the next time to, to give him the ball. Does <laughs> um, one thing actually Gary Ringrose kind of spoke about, and this might be a kind of new thing as well. It's it's and you probably felt that as well going up. It's the temptations for younger to kind of go out and kind of have nights out, and your mates not kind of really understanding that this is the kind of path you've chosen. Was that kind of tough for yourself to kind of WhatsApp groups kind of ignoring the messages and stuff coming through from the mates? Yeah, it is. It's definitely a sacrifice you have to make, and. Um, Genuinely, for me, I, I love training. I love feeling fit. I love feeling healthy. So, it, it, yeah, there are times when you definitely want to go out and you want to have a few points with your friends, or there's a there's a big concert on, or there's a big event on, or you know, recently the, the Kinsale Sevens was on, and I, I couldn't go down to it because you know, you're trying to look after yourself and try and get back playing rugby, and you know, you're getting the the Snapchats and things from the lads, and they're having the time of their lives down yeah. there. So, um, at times that is difficult, but you know, the trade off is you know we're, we're very lucky to do what we do and that isn't something you just uh, an answer to a question that you think is the right answer it genuinely is like that we're very lucky to do what we do I love what I do and uh, you get to play in front of massive crowds and you play the game you love so um, you know when people ask you is it tough to miss out on these things it's not at all it, it, like would you like to be there with your mates and, and you know sometimes you miss out on weddings or stags and things like that which which are just unfortunate but 
on the other side, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't trade it for yeah. for the world. The uh, the one I suppose I'll finish up on was um, just it, just the season you guys had, like all the stuff you've been through and the journey you guys have taken from scraping sixth place last year to kind of you know getting to within a game of the, of the final. But you know, how much would you guys want to finish off on a, on a high here? Like, would would you feel you haven't done everything right if you don't finish with silverware this season? Um, no, I wouldn't say that. I, I think you know we, we've we've grown an awful lot as a squad this year. We've had um, a year to remember or a year to forget in, in mm. some some aspects of it. So it's been really challenging, and I think we've we've grown to a certain stage where we're really happy where we are. We know we can get better, 100. Um, yes. percent You know, we came up against Saracens in the semi final and, and we lost, and and that was completely fair enough. We, I would have liked to have seen us just play a bit better and perform as well as we yeah. I know we could have to see where we were mm-hmm. like you know to just get a clear picture to see where we were and unfortunately we just had an off day pretty much like we, we, we tried our hardest but we just had an off day we, we had played better in, in the season but Saracens are a better team than we are at the moment and, and you know they fully deserve it they've been playing together for a long period for, for four yeah. or five years or, or whatever it is under, under Mark McCall and um, they've been they have a game plan that everyone fully understands and we're eight or nine months into playing under, under Razzie and, and Jacques and um, you know we're definitely on the right path and the chance is there to, to play in a, in a league semi-final a home semi-final which would be great and you know to get to, to, get to a final uh, with an opportunity to, to win a trophy in 80 minutes is something that we haven't uh, come across in, in quite a while so it's, it's there's massive hunger there you know the Saracens game was disappointing the announcement of Razzie staying was a bit of an uh, you know, pick me up yeah. um, in, in the weeks after that, and um, you know we've we've quickly gotten back down to work, and, and people are working really hard to finish finish the season on a high, and, and the opportunity to play in, in the Aviva in a final um, potentially against Leinster with, with the way they're playing at the moment, or Ospreys or Scarlets or whoever gets in. Um, you know, it's it's a really exciting end of the season, and, and then you know the summer the summer is there too, but that that will take care of itself afterwards. Okay, that was Pat chatting to Conor Murray there. Uh, one thing now I took from listening to that was the extra work that he talked about. Uh, Bossy is a scrum half. Give us some insight on some of the extra work which you might do. Um, well, it's it's you know it's you got to be on top of your individual skills, you know. So it's the kicking and the pass, and like you mentioned there, you, you got to put hours of work into it, you know, because you throw one bad pass, they'll score you kick one kick that's not on the dot then your team's under pressure and um, yeah so you spend hours and those are the unseen unseen bits of work that people don't don't know about so Murray talked about you know working with uh, Greg Oliver I mean obviously in sort of a, a skills mentor or whatever kind of role I mean is that something you would have performed in one end of your career and maybe yeah. used to the other yeah exactly and it's um, and uh, the key to having a mentor or a coach is they're not telling you exactly how you should do it because if you look at nines they're all different they all pass different ways myself reds are strings you know we all pass totally different and kick totally different Connor especially because he's a bigger nine so mm-hmm. he's got a you know his his passing technique will be completely different to us because every time he's going down to the ball he's going a lot further and his kicking is totally different as well because his levers are totally different so what's been good for him is Greg Oliver has not told him out but he's found a way found you know different ways through his passing and how he's worked on it they found a new way to do things and experiment like you said you get a bit geekish about it and you try new things but um, how geekish do you go? Uh, you start analysing all you know you can get over the top and, and Mike will tell you but it's part of the learning uh, process I always tell young nines you take a bit from everything so Luke McGrath for example you know he'll be learning off myself Reds uh, and whoever else has been around as well so he would maybe take some things from us 
and maybe take something from another nine and you adapt every little bit into your own game and, and you form your own type of thing you know yeah. so um, but little things like for example the box kick you'd be kicking it you know where you kick do you kick right on the point or just behind it you know so how do you make it spin quick or slow I'd be a fan of making it try to spin a little bit slower in the air so it doesn't cut through the air and uh, it generally hangs a bit higher so yeah. maybe that sounds like jargon Mike yeah, doesn't really know what I'm talking about he just sees it, <laughs> sees it coming through the air and gets a bit scared but um, yeah that's what it is you know you, you, you can spend hours doing that sort of stuff but at the end of the day you practice you practice and you practice again you just keep going and you yeah. figure out these little bits and pieces it might be the slight variation of the way you hold the ball um, and then you find that's what you're comfortable with and you do that for the rest of your career so when you were saying Connor come through I mean did you he was obviously he was a different scrum half to something that to anything we'd seen before I think in the Irish system to be fair um, with honourable exception I think Kieran Scully uh, going back a good yeah, few years yeah. now who we lost to injury um, but did you, was it obvious that Connor had this potential in him or is this something he's developed just to work? No, he's probably had to work a lot harder and as, like you said, the Irish system is generally just chuck, even in the school system, I've done a lot of work with school kids and stuff and they seem to just put the small guys in there, you know, and uh, traditionally growing up in New Zealand, we would have had quite physical nines, Justin Marshall was a big man, um, Jimmy Cowan was a big man, Byron Callagher, you know. Um, Perry Whippin? He's a big nine. He's a big nine, very skillful. <laughs> Whereas it's maybe it's we haven't produced a lot of you know homegrown nines for for a long, long time, and uh, a number of them. And I think Connor is an example of how you know the bigger guys can bring a different dimension to the game. And he's had to work traditionally as a young fella. He wasn't there. He wasn't the first picked, and he worked a lot harder than everyone else. And, and that sort of ethic that you get at a young age I think because you've got to beat the odds it stands to you for the next 10-12 years of your career It's also notable that he's a guy who keeps practising his place kicking which is something we are going to come back to in a future show why do people stop <laughs> after a certain point but uh, Mike how's your box kicking? Um, hang, yeah, t- hang well, time I don't think I've ever done one box kick in my life but, um, <laughs> I don't think you've caught yeah, one either it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I mean it's a uh, it's a, it's a skill that you have to work on for a scrum off. You know, like Connor was saying there, it's uh, the passing and the kickings is, is bread and butter. So, yeah. um, I mean, for me, there's two sides uh, two sides of the coin to p- playing with Connor Murray. You know, I've played a few games with him, and you know, for as a forward, you you, you know, you you're in your own twenty-two. You're trying to get out of that that area, and you know, he you have a bit of a maul going, and then he relieves pressure by putting an unbelievably good box kick in, perfect height, and you know, it's it's kind of the, the way Munster play as well. They you know, they get a good uh, kick chase and it's it's hugely rewarding for you as a player when you see that pressure completely relieved on the flip side when you play against him it, it's it's so frustrating because his kicking game just keeps you pinned pinned in a certain area of the field yeah. and um, you know you've seen other teams getting frustrated by uh, they've tried to target him say for example Glasgow you know were they or weren't they trying to tackle him after he kicked the ball but um, you, you can see that they're putting a lot of emphasis in how to how to kind of get into Murray as they see him as like a talisman so um, you know if they're all concentrating on Murray this, it's going to open opportunities in, in other parts of the game Well I think we'll leave it there well done Conor Murray uh, Rugby Players Ireland Players Player of the Year as well as the other award winners on the night up next we get some World Cup and Champions Cup odds from Ladbrokes Haley O'Connor Murder She Wrote is the perfect thing to watch during the day Watch the start, fall off for 40 minutes, come back, see the end, perfect. You know what I mean? You've missed nothing really. 
remember Rod Kev in the Kalina used to have to bring two TVs into the room one for you for Cheltenham <laughs> like every red blooded male in the country he'd be watching the horse racing whereas I'd have a TV for myself for things like Murder She Wrote and Houses Under the Hammer Murder She Wrote is the perfect thing to watch during the day We've spoken about the World Cup draw looks favourable for Ireland two years out right now, but um, we are joined now by Hayley O'Connor from Ladbrokes. Hayley, does that reflect in the odds for the 2019 World Cup? Oh yeah, totally. Um, like Ireland, they were the major movers in the in the betting after the draw because, like you know, if the seedings go as as suggested, like Ireland won't face New Zealand or England until the final. So we've slashed their odds in half. They're six to one. Um, from 12 to 1, you know, in Pule, they're facing Japan, who are 100 to 1 shots, and Scotland, who are 50 to 1 shots. But, you know, you can't completely write them off. Japan are like on an upward tra- trajectory. And, like, we can't forget about the fact that they caused one of the greatest shocks in rugby World Cup history in, in 2015 when they beat South Africa. They nearly beat uh, Wales in August, and, of course, Scotland beat us in the Six Nations. But all in all, certainly you couldn't really have written it better. Uh, Ireland third favourites for the tournament um, Isaac is that about right is that um, well I guess going on the draw definitely you know um, this far out there's a lot to go but uh, yeah I, we're in the top four at the minute and we've got the best pool so there's no reason why we probably couldn't be even be a bit higher yeah I mean this is I mean we are two years out I keep saying this but uh, third favourites from here it's it's a good track to be on but yeah well like and the fact that someone like Joe Schmidt's sticking around as well and, and, and they're heading off like they They've got a good plan in place, and uh, they'll they'll fancy their chances. Like that, they um, it'd be interesting to kind of see who else makes up that pool. But they, uh, yeah, they'll definitely be targeting like a three three World Cups in a row top in a pool. Like it's it's definitely not beyond them. Hmm. Um, Haley, we've also been talking about the Champions Cup final this weekend. So uh, everyone around the table has gone for Saracens as their winners. Uh, do Ladbrokes have the same? Yeah, absolutely. They're they're two to one favourites um, with us. Actually, funny enough, you know. They're, the only thing that might upset them is the fact that they they have the, um, the director will be to release six of his first team on Monday to go for Lions training. But um, I don't think that's going to set, upset them too much. Uh, Claremont is seven to four in the handicap, and um, you can back Saracens minus five uh, at eleven to ten. If you think it's going to be a closer um, bit match, you can back them minus two at eight to thirteen, um, and their favourites to score first at four to six. Favorites to to score the first try at four to seven, but if you think Claremont are going to get off to a good start and and uh, score and score the first try, you can back them at, at five to four. Um, but yeah, we think that it's it's going to go by the way at the Saracens. I really want to take that five to four Claremont good start because I really want Claremont to win. Their fans are brilliant. <laughs> when you see them travel, they are brilliant, and I really want them to win. Yeah, they get there in an hour beforehand, don't they? Sometimes yeah. for some of the games, and uh, isn't Saracens big thing? They don't concede first half tries in the Champions Cup as well. So hopefully, hopefully Claremont can rock the boat a little bit and, and make it an exciting game. Well, they want to keep the action until all their fans arrive. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I, I I'll be glued to this game um, as a sort of a, a rugby nerd. Uh, Mike in the McCarthy House, this will be on. Yeah, no, I'll definitely be watching it. I'd love to see Claremont do it. Uh, John O'Gibbs was our forwards coach at Leinster um, for for a few years, and you know, he's a great coach and great bloke. And then he's obviously moving over to Ulster, so um, it'd be a great way for for him to finish. So I'm I'm hoping uh, hoping Claremont do it. 
I think we'll leave it there. Thanks to Raj, Mike, Isaac, Pat and to Haley for taking the call. Thanks to Joe Harrington for producing and Shane Dempsey for looking after the sound. We'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud and every new podcast app to get us straight to your phone. I'm Andy McGeady. This has been The Hard Yards. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport. 